0: Chapter 1, and we left off basically in verse 14 last time, so we'll pick up in verse 15. And the theme for our Bible study tonight is the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, which is also the theme for Joel's book. So, alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. So, the prophet saw the near fulfillment of this day of the Lord as a destruction from the Almighty. There is a near fulfillment that would be fulfilled for us, historically, in the past. A near fulfillment, and then a future fulfillment. Or a partial fulfillment, and then a complete fulfillment. So, this hasn't been fulfilled Completely, What we're going to study tonight and it will not be fulfilled completely until a major prophetic event occurs and what is the one major prophetic event that will occur during the day of the Lord what is that that's 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 a big one that is that is a big one that's a part of it yes sir uh, but it's the second coming of Christ that's the big ticket underneath the day of the Lord. So, um, what you have is you have the day of the Lord, the day of Jehovah. Underneath that, you have the tribulation. You have the tribulation. You have the second coming. You'll have the I'm just going to put 1,000year uh, reign, 1,000-year kingdom. Those are the big items for the day of the Lord. In the tribulation, you could also say it's, it's Armageddon. So I think that's, I think that's the right spelling. Armageddon. Those are the three big items under the day of the Lord. You have three major prophetic days. The day of Christ, that's the one you're in right now. That's the first coming of Christ. That's the church age. Um, That is for us during the uh, seven-year tribulation here on earth, we'll have a seven-year honeymoon period with uh, our bridegroom, Jesus, and we'll have the judgment seat of Christ and uh, the marriage ...with our Bridegroom Jesus. That's going to occur, that's the day of Christ. At the end of the day of Christ, then you have the uh, day of the Lord that begins. The day of the Lord is what I've described there. And then you have the day of God, and that's the last one, the last, the third day. The day of God is when the earth is uh, destroyed... And all of the elements, the, the universe that we have, the Bible says that God will fold up the universe like a garment, and He'll put it away. And He will make a new heaven and a new earth, and the day of God involves that, Second Peter 3, it involves the great white throne judgment, where the wicked dead are judged, those that are without Christ, and eternity, so that's the Day of God. So we're studying the Day of the Lord, which we are not in right now, not prophetically. But so now the prophet is seeing a near fulfillment of the Day of the Lord as a destruction from the Almighty. The Day of the Lord can refer to any time when we're talking about the near fulfillment. It can refer to any time that the Lord comes down in judgment. All right. So you know how we do Bible study here, right? We, we need our Bibles open. You can't just come to church, read a verse, and then close your Bible. You'll need your Bible open. So let's turn to Ezekiel 13. That's back to your left. It's right before Daniel. Um, not a matter of pride, but just a matter of fact. I bet a lot of so-called Christians in America don't even know that there's a book called Ezekiel in the Bible. Because that's where we are. America is practically illiterate. When it comes to the Bible. that's uh, not a matter of pride. Or at least I don't mean it in that spirit. Ezekiel 13. And verse 5. I uh, suppose I'm trying to provoke us unto love and to good works. In the Bible study. Ezekiel 13.5. So now this is any time that the Lord comes down in judgment. The Bible can speak of it as being the day of the Lord. Ezekiel 13 verse 5. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. Now, what he's referring to here is God has been using this prophet Ezekiel to be assigned to the people. And he was digging out a wall and he must have looked like a madman. He was just digging down a wall and destroying this and digging a big hole in it and tearing it up. And he said, you're going to be assigned to Israel to show them that this is what's going to happen. Their enemies are going to come in. And walls are a big deal. It would be like me if you had home security in your house. It would be like me coming to your house, tearing down your cameras, your outdoor cameras, going inside and pulling off the little display on your wall where you set the security, you know, and clipping the little wires on your windows, those little magnetic things that come together. It'd be like me saying that, saying God's going to come and judge you, and it doesn't matter if you have security, the enemy is going to break through. That's what their walls were. They were security. And he's saying Babylon's going to come and break through your walls, and you are not safe. Only God can keep you safe. So to let you see that this is referring to a near fulfillment of the Babylonian invasion, the previous chapter, chapter 12, beginning at verse 26... Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say, the vision that he seeth, they're talking about the preacher, the vision that he seeth is for many days to come, and he prophesieth of the times that are far off. They say it's not a near fulfillment. This is a future thing. It's way out there in the future. Just don't worry about it. Let the good times roll, you know. Therefore, say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, There shall none of my words be prolonged any more, but the word which I have spoken shall be done, saith the Lord God. And then, if you look at verse 11, same chapter, Say, he's saying, this is what he wants the, the preacher to preach to him, Say, I am your sign, like as I have done, so shall it be done unto them. They shall remove and go into captivity, right there, that's the Babylonian captivity. And the prince forth. They shall dig through the wall to carry out thereby. He shall cover his face. That he see not the ground with his eyes. My net also will I spread upon him. He shall be taken in my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon. So that's the near fulfillment of the day of the Lord. Coming down in judgment. Now... Conversely, the day of the Lord can refer to a future, end times type of a fulfillment. So we need to look at Jeremiah 30. So Jeremiah is, keep going to the left, Jeremiah is the second of the major prophets. You have Isaiah, and then you have Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. Another good thing, if we had like a King's Kids or a Patch the Pirate thing, is that kids would memorize the books of the Bible and they would do that and receive like, you know, stars and things like that and and, uh, that they've checked that off and done that. Kids are sponges. They're capable of so much. But uh, Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 4. Now this is a future fulfillment. Talking about the day of the Lord here. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. That that tells you right there that they're going to try to make it so that men can have babies, you know. Eventually, somebody's going to try that if they haven't already. This tells you that it's never going to happen. Because this is, this is end times stuff. So the prophet's saying, a man doesn't have a child. But he'll be holding on to his belly like he is in travail. Verse 7, alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble but he shall be saved out of it. The time of Jacob's trouble, we know full well what that is. If you read the rest of that passage, you'd, say, you'd see that it was the day of the Lord. But we know full well the time of Jacob's trouble and just what that is. Okay, That's referring to, right here, tribulation. That's the time of the Jewish, Jewish tribulation. Okay, one more verse before we come back to Joel. 1 Thessalonians. Let's see what Paul says about it. So all the way up in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And that comes right before Timothy. See what Paul says about this. If you want to learn about the day of the Lord, this is a great place to start. As far as the Pauline doctrine that we have, 1 Thessalonians 5. So I'll give you a minute to make it there. Um, I've really been enjoying teaching college students at Marietta Bible College. I gave, I gave them the final uh, questions yesterday, gave them the finals, and they'll take their finals this coming week, and then they'll graduate, and most of them will go back to their countries that they came from, Papua New Guinea and uh, the Philippines. I think there's one from Congo right now. They'll go back and they'll serve the Lord. And they've, been, they've, they've received their training. They've uh, learned uh, different ministries, things like that. And they're going to go back, some of them, to start churches and to do other things. And uh, I've really enjoyed being able to teach them. And one of the things that I've been teaching is eschatology. They asked me to teach that class. Can you believe it? Cause I realized looking at me, I'm just a young guy, you know. Sometimes I watch videos of young preachers in churches and I wonder how on earth do those people sit there and listen to him, you know, but uh, it's not been uncommon throughout church history, but uh, I, I, it's, a, it's a wonderful privilege to be able to do it and I've learned a great deal about it, but I learned this, that is a huge subject, eschatology is the last things, it's end times events, that's a huge subject, so uh, we got through it anyways And uh, one of the things that I taught them was the day of Christ, the day of the Lord, and the day of God. We learned a great deal about that. But I think I got them convinced by the time we got to the end of that thing. I had them thoroughly convinced that God is not done with Israel. They are going to go back to their land. And the Lord is going to restore them permanently to their land. But, uh, you know, today people really hate the Jews. Because that's what we're talking about here today. With the day of the Lord, we're talking about the Jews. People hate... The Jews. It's, there's still a lot of it. It didn't, uh, it didn't end with Holocaust, you know, in World War II. You'd think that people would be done with hating the Jews and killing them, you know. They, a large percentage uh, of the Jews were killed during World War II. But even recently, you remember hearing about that uh, synagogue in Pennsylvania? Was it Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh <laughs> Pennsylvania. Somebody went in there and shot that place up and killed, what, 11 people or something like that? I forget exactly, but uh, over 10 people died, 10 Jews died as a result of it. people in Ukraine, I understand the president over there, he's a Jew. He's a Jew? Oh, I did not know that. I did not know that. Isn't that something? You know, he shows the power of Satan. Yeah. This is what Satan wants. He, he wants to totally, and he's tried many times. Yes. With Herod, with uh, Hitler, yeah. he's tried many times to just completely wipe out the Jews. Yes. Yeah, because they think if they can just get rid of them, you could finally have peace. Uh, but it's just a hatred Satan has because he knows that the Jews are God's chosen people. Yes. And that's There's why still, he hates them so much. Yeah. There's still wouldn't be a remnant come out of a sudden your tribulation. Yes. There has to be a, a yep. small Yes, that's right. And so that's what all of this is about. It's about God is going to keep his promise to Israel, the things that he promised. He's going to keep his promise. And you know what he's going to keep it, what it's going to be based on? It was uh, oh, it was Rinald Showers. He used to write for Israel, my glory. And he's gone to be with the Lord now. But he said that there's only one reason why God is going to fulfill his promises to Israel to restore them to the land permanently. There's only one reason. And that's because of God's faithfulness and because of who God is. Because they blew it, did they not? They broke their covenants. They broke their vows. They blew it. So you would think that's it, God can be all done with him. But no, he made unconditional promises in the covenant with Abraham and with David so that that would be fulfilled. So uh, anyways, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord... So cometh as a thief in the night. And when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Talking about the tribulation, uh, the time of Jacob's trouble. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You won't be there for it. You won't be there for any of it. Ye are the children of light and the children of the day, not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. Let us watch and be sober. They that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Because God has not <coughs> appointed us to wrath. Somebody says, well, what is... What does all this end times teaching have to do with me? Does it really have any relevance to me today? It always has relevance. There's always a practical application. Dwight Pentecost said that. There's all, every time Paul talks about the end times events, he always comes around to the practical. You're not of the night. You're of the day. So therefore be sober and walk like a Christian. <laughs> walk like you belong in the family of God. Because knowing that God is going to judge this world... Sometimes the cup of iniquity is just full for people, and they're just ripe for judgment. That was the case in Messina, Italy. On December the 28th, 1908, in the early morning, an earthquake struck, leaving 84,000 people dead in Italy. A journal was published just a few days prior to the earthquake, and it was actually a Christmas issue. And they had an abominable, a terrible, wicked parody in that issue where they actually foolishly dared the Almighty to send an earthquake. Three days later, he did. Um, they got what they asked for, those wicked and God defying people. The Lord comes down every once in a while and comes down in judgment. All right? Back in Joel. Uh, chapter One and verse uh, verse uh, seventeen Joel chapter one and Joel chapter one and verse seventeen. So he says, "Here the seed is rotten under their clods. uh well, actually let's start in verse. Start in verse 16. Is not the meat cut off before our eyes? Yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed is rotten under their clods. The garners are laid desolate. The barns are broken down. For the corn is withered. This is after this devastation of this uh, plague of insects. Whether it be by vision or whether this actually occurred. Uh, total desolation of the land. How do the beasts groan? The herds of cattle are perplexed. Because they have no pasture, yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. You know, um, you're familiar with this. We hear about it from time to time. There are droughts that happened in California. One particular drought that occurred took uh, like thirty-two percent of their grain. They were down thirty-two percent, which is major. Therefore they have to do exports from other countries in order to make up from Just a little drought. Imagine what would happen if God sent a plague of insects along with a drought and did it nationwide in America, what that would do to our country. It would break us. Just a little thing, like a grasshopper. God could take this country down with with locusts. It's incredible to think about. Uh, How do the beasts groan? Not that God wants to do it, by the way. How do the beasts groan? The herds of cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. They don't have anything to eat either. O Lord, to Thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures. This is the effect of the plague on the prophet himself crying out to the Lord, because he's in the middle of it too. There's a fire burning the wilderness, and a flame that burns all the trees of the field, maybe as a result of a drought that came. The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, the rivers of waters are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. I guess the ancient Romans called the referred to uh, locusts as being fiery uh, insects, because it just looked like a fire went through the land. And when they go through the land, they eat everything. They just eat, 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 It's like me at McClure's. I just eat, 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 eat. Two yes, two ice creams on top of it all. Um, they just, they'll just eat anything, man. They, they've been known to eat plastic, eat doors, wooden doors, metal, uh, completely bark trees, strip them clean. These things just eat, eat, eat. And uh, just leave everything just barren and desolate. So maybe it's that. Maybe it's the drought, but it, it's looking forward to a future fulfillment, which we'll talk about eventually. But now, uh, in chapter two, the following is a description of an enemy invasion and an appeal to Judah to repent. And upon their repentance, Judah is promised a divine deliverance. So now he's going to talk about an enemy invasion, and what is is he telling the people to do? What is the preacher's message? repent. You know, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Is that not right? Do we know that about our God? We've got to know that. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that they would turn, right? That they would repent. And so He can have mercy. So that's what He's telling them to do in verse 1. The people are alerted by a trumpet sounding. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm. In my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. So uh, this trumpet in Bible times, uh, it could have been a shofar, like a ram's horn. you you all seen my ram's horn. Um, There were also metal trumpets. They were used for several different things. They were used to muster the people. To move them in formation when they were in the wilderness and they were encamped around the tabernacle. The trumpets would be blown. Certain tribes would pick up and start moving. Everyone followed like a military order. Trumpets were used to call the people to a fast. They were used sometimes to sound an alarm of a coming enemy. Uh, so the prophet stood possibly, and I think he was, there in His prophecy about the Revelation 9. And it's talking about there's a, a sea for them and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the Garden of Eden. Before these things that are going to occur in the end. And whether we're thinking of the local in their way and by the people. Right now you're living in pleasure. And in from living in paradise to living in a desolate wilderness. From riches to rags. Verse 4, the appearance of them is as the appearance of Hopper. If you look at it real close, like if you get a picture of it online or something, their faces look like horses. looks like a little horse head. It's interesting. So let's read on just a little bit more. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains, shall they leap? And they are very noisy creatures when they swarm in by the the, uh, billions or even trillions sometimes. Like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face, the people shall be much pained, all faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men. But what he describes, it goes on really beyond the description of a locust invasion. And look at Revelation chapter 9. And you'll see this language coming up in Revelation chapter 9. And it becomes obvious that there's a connection there. Revelation chapter 9. These are demonic creatures described in this chapter. So the very thing that happened in Joel's day happens again, but on a whole nother level during the tribulation period. Because he starts talking about creatures who can fall on a sword and not be wounded, Joel does. And that's not a locust. I could kill a grasshopper, like I said when I was a kid, I could kill a grasshopper with my shirt. Just wind it up and snap it and kill it. He says there's, there's uh, things coming that even if they fell on a sword, it wouldn't kill them. Well, that's not a Babylonian soldier. You could kill one of them with a sword. But there's something coming that you can't kill with a sword. Okay, so Revelation chapter 9 and verse 1. You have the fifth angel sounding. What is he sounding with? A trumpet. Isn't that interesting? Blow the trumpet in Zion. And I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. That's an angel. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit. And there arose a smoke out of the pit. As the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason Of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. Sidetrack for just a second. I wonder what all those people that have underground tunnels and are involved in child trafficking and human sex trafficking with these underground uh, groups and societies, I wonder what they're gonna think when these demonic creatures crawl through their tunnels. Because I bet the Lord will probably have some of them run through there at that time. So, uh, verse 5, And unto them was given power. You see it in verse 5? There came out of the smoke locusts. See that? Locusts. Upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Now, these are demonic creatures. These are no normal locusts. We read about their deeds from verse 3 down to verse 6. They're going to kill anybody that doesn't have the seal of God in their foreheads. They're going to torture them, rather. They're going to torment them five months. In verse 5, they're going to torment them. And it'll be like when a scorpion bites you. When a scorpion strikes a man. That's what the pain will feel like. Verse 6, in those days men will seek death. They will want to die, but they will not be able to die. It'll be... a Time of God's wrath and God's judgment upon this wicked world. That's their deeds. Their description is in verse 7 down through verse 11. Look at their description. The shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold. Their faces were as the faces of men. You'd look at one of these things and just, I give up. I want to die right now. (laughs) You know. You'd be literally scared to death. They had hair. What was their hair like? As the hair of women. What is that like? What is he describing there? What's the hair of women? Long, long right? Because that's what a woman does. She wears her hair long. So they got long hair. They're going to look like ACDC coming up out of the bottomless pit. Kind of. It might be the characters from the band ACDC resurrected and put together in these horse-like locust beings. I don't know. Maybe their faces will be painted white with black shapes on them. I don't know. But they got hair like women. Their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron. You couldn't kill them with a sword. Okay? You could read more of that if you wanted to. But um, they had tails like scorpions. They're vicious looking things. But back in Joel 2, you see his, his prophecy does what many prophecies do. They start to like stretch the bounds of the near fulfillment and go into a future fulfillment. They sort of bleed over or spring out of uh, a, a prophecy into something that will be future. So you have a double reference or a double application. So back in Joel 2, we'll wrap it up here tonight. These things are going to be unleashed. On this world, and the only ones that are going to be protected from them when that fifth trumpet sounds are the people who have a seal in their forehead, a mark in their forehead, and they can't be hurt by it. Um, You know, talking about this fire spreading, being like a paradise of Eden in front of them and a desolate wilderness behind them. Uh, This, either this invasion of locusts or this fire. There will be fire in the tribulation. Um, In the days of the pioneers, when men saw that a prairie fire was coming, you know, they're out there on these huge prairies, buffalo out there and everything. Wouldn't it be beautiful to actually be able to see that? And they're out there with their wagons and they're moving in their convoys and they see a fire coming and they circle the wagons, you know, to protect the women and the children. But what would they do when this this prairie fire came? Uh, You couldn't outrun it with a horse. It was just too fast. So what they tell us is they would burn out a designated area around them. They would burn the field all around them. And uh, even though there was a sea of fire all around them, they could take their stand in the place that was already burned out, and they would be safe from that fire. When the judgment of God comes to sweep men and women into hell, there's only one safe place to stand. Do you know where that is, Colton? There's only one place to stand. Yes. And specifically, Calvary. 2,000 years ago, God's wrath fell on Jesus as a punishment for sin, and the fire cannot burn the place two times. The fire cannot burn the place twice. If it's been burned once, the fire won't burn it again. It can't pass through it. So Calvary is the place where God's wrath and God's judgment fell on Jesus. And if we take our stand at Calvary, we'll be safe from the fires of hell through this life and through all eternity. And we'll be safe from the judgment, the great day of the Lord. Let's go ahead and bow for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you tonight for uh, this study in the book of Joel, and we're just scratching the surface, Lord, of this, and there's so much here, um, so much to understand, Lord. We thank you that you are a God that delights in mercy. You have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Your pleasure is when we live for you and honor you, and when we get saved and trust Jesus Christ and live for you and live a life that uh, you can look down and smile on. And, and Lord, I thank you for that, that you you love to show mercy. You love to show your grace. And that right now the the door to heaven is just kicked wide open. The gospel call is going out all over the world, uh, calling men, women, boys, and girls to repent and to run to Calvary by faith and to cling to the cross uh, for forgiveness and safety. Uh, from the fiery judgment that's to come. And Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.